You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and this is the first episode of Season 2. I'm so glad you joined us. I am literally more excited than ever for this season because obviously I have some experience with podcasting now and I love it. I'm so grateful for this forum to share and to bring on guests and now I'm getting better about sound with bringing guests on. So thank you so much for your patience. I am so pleased to really have a great lineup of topics this season. Not only are we going to be covering important topics like your tri-type, talking about mental health in the Enneagram and the church, the topic of in-laws, moving, grief, sex therapy part two, which we really need to get back to to talk about purity culture and how we're influenced in good and bad ways by it. We also need to make sure we cover all about the Enneagram glow, how you and your partner's pairing do together. I'm so excited about that in particular because Elena Pompa of Ray of Light and I have been working so hard and Michael Shahan has done a tremendous job on the trauma piece with us of that. But she and I are doing illustrations and going type by type through the amazing and difficult journey of the 45 different pairings and how they look. And there's not 81 because as you can imagine, somebody thought that the other day and I was like, oh no, the good news is there's not 81 pairings to go through because eight, nine is the same as nine, eight, etc. So it's exciting. We love it. We're about a third of the way through, but as we finish that up later this fall or early this winter, we're going to have so much fun to have them on the show and talk about how you guys glow together and how you can hurt each other and how each other both. So super, super excited for all these great topics that you guys have requested. And now we're going to get to do them. You guys have asked for it and I am so thankful I get to deliver it. This is like the best model for me to share because now I get to do so from home since COVID. And I also really love speaking on a podcast versus in person because my seven energy doesn't completely deplete. So it's so good for me because you can imagine how people run up to a seven after a talk and you're like, oh, I want to like be with you and help you. And then you go back to your family and you're totally wilted. So it's so much better. This is such a blessing. I'm so thankful. And today's topic, I am literally, I already said that I sound like Chris off of Parks and Rec, literally so excited. And it's all about the Enneagram and falling in love. So You guys have been answering my surveys and you have been telling me some of you do believe in love at first sight. And I have a very special guest. We're going to talk about this. A special guest is going to join us later today. And we're also going to have you stay tuned for the end when I go through type by type and the best parts and the cautions of falling in love with each type. So some of you don't believe that you can really help falling in love. You're like, sorry, I really can't help it. I fell in love and this is the type I fell in love with. And I definitely think of you guys as romantics who say this because it actually shocked me to find that 56% of Americans as of 2013 believe that falling in love at first sight is possible. And it's pretty cool. I love that you guys have that romantic side. And I am checking it out on IG as we speak to see what the rest of you think. So I'll make sure to post that at Instagram so that you can see what does our group think about it. But I also think that's a great thing to know about the national average because it's got a 1% to 3% margin of error. But the truth is a lot of you, whatever the exact percent, a lot of you believe that, that you can. And so I want to make sure that you're cautious in a healthy way about 
what love truly is, but I also want to help you to understand that that's okay. Some of you, and I know from almost two decades of working with couples, really do fall in love at first sight. And I have to tell you that because I was teaching this week and of course, perfectly timed, I'm teaching Romeo and Juliet for my world literature class with a small pot of teen girls. And that was one of the first questions I asked as a pre-writing assignment. What do you guys think about this? And one of my daughters who's a nine said she did believe it, but a lot of them did not think so. And even my four said, I think I'd be really cautious. So I think it's really important that we understand it doesn't mean kids all think that way. It could be that older people do or people who have been married for a long time start to relax in their love. And then instead of kind of analyzing it like we do in middle marriage, they're just like, yeah, I fell in love with her when I first met her. And it's like, well, yeah, you're 50 years in. Are you sure you always felt that way? (laughs) So so we're going to explore that, too. But let's talk a little bit about Romeo and Juliet because I do think they're the quintessential couple for falling in love and you probably use a lot of their language in your everyday life. And I know it's funny because it's such old fashioned Shakespeare speak, but we do. And one of the quotes that sticks out to me and that I use with Wes a lot is if he's (laughs) drank the last of some kind of a beverage that we're sharing, I'm like, left no friendly drop. And it's just a good memory for me. I always think about how Juliet's like, hey, Romeo, we're going to die together as eternal lovers. And you didn't even leave me a sip of poison. So I'm twisted. But my husband and I usually giggle when I think of that line. And I, of course, know that many of you are thinking about the famous line, oh, Romeo, Romeo. And it's just kind of cheesy to me. I mean, they know that's me as a seven, but I'm like, oh, come on. (laughs) But, But I do understand that feeling of love at first sight. And I cannot lie, so many of my clients have had it and told me about that. And I didn't even exactly get that chance with my husband because the first I ever heard from him was a teen girl ran up to me in high school. I can still remember exactly where I was standing by the lockers coming away from my locker. And she burst out of her world history class. And she's like, there's this new guy. He's a sophomore transfer in our high school. And he is so nice. He's a Christian. He's a quarterback on the football team. He's gorgeous. And I hate to say it, but my skeptical little five part of me was like, then you and I have no chance. (laughs) And I don't even know why I was thinking of myself at all. Maybe I wasn't, but I had a boyfriend and I was like in the intellectual set and she was too with me and she wasn't an athlete at all. And of course my mind went right to research. I said to myself briefly, then she's not going to fit in with the social set. If he's this, he's going to go for the cheerleader. And I'm sorry, but I have to let her know this as soon as possible. But the seven part of me was just like, very kind and joyful with her and celebrated it with her on the exterior while I kept that private. And I'm glad I did because that would have been like an end to the friendship right there, right? If I was like, well, then you have no chance with him because that's ridiculous. Like, of course, sometimes we do defy stereotypes. But in this case, I was right. (laughs) He did go for all the cheerleaders and stuff first. And my boyfriend was still with me and he hadn't left yet. He was going to be an environmental engineer and he was the valedictorian of his senior class and we were only sophomores. So I knew he would be leaving and we had a very practical romance. And that was also not an example of love at first sight. And I'm like, oh, he'll be leaving. Then we'll be breaking up. And this is how love works. So I just had such an unorthodox start. And by the time I did get with Wes, it was a year later. So really kind of precluded some of those possibilities. And of course, as you can imagine, it took me a long time to really believe that he was 
ever going to sincerely be the right fit until the first date. And then after that, I was like, oh my gosh, like I have already mentioned this last season, but and it's this is so ridiculous because you try to guard your heart. And then I'm like, mom, if you don't get me out of the shower while he's calling, I will be so mad. And then I remember my mom, one time I said that exact phrase to her and she was like, didn't do it. I was like, mom, did he call while I was in the shower? And she's like, yes. And I was like, I cannot believe you didn't get me out of the shower. And she's like, you're an idiot. Like she didn't say it, but she's like, I've had mental illness and I, you're like the fourth of a long line of children. Like, no, like I'm not even worried about it. And of course I called him and I, I think he wasn't even home. And then I yelled at her and I was like so mean and so seven and unhealth at that season of life. And she's just like, whatever. So it was really, really silly. And I do recognize the Juliet in that. I'm like, oh my gosh, the desperation you feel after you do give your heart is pretty sick. And so I mean that in a cool way and in a sick way, because I think those early years can be funny in that sense of the star-crossed lovers who can't even take a breath. And I am so, oh my gosh, I have teen daughters. So I'm like waiting for this to hit and hoping it doesn't for a while. But it's really okay to have that feeling, right, of love. Like we have to hold our hearts at guard. Women have to say no a lot. But eventually we get to say yes when we find that somebody has grown and is a good, nice person and we can let our guards down then we can start feeling those feelings. And I was a bit young to be feeling those feelings. But in Romeo and Juliet's day, she was 13 years old. They said in the story, by the time you're 14, you're going to be starting to have your children. So there's just different cultures and different times for us to fall in love. And some of you have a story where you met as children. I've had couples say, I met him. I knew this is the man I'm going to marry. I've had a lot of guys say that, especially being the ones who often seek out, this is the one I'm going to go for her. And it's exciting and it's beautiful. And it's so reminiscent of all the Hollywood movies, right? To have that experience of falling in love. You can't help it. I know I've read before some of my dad's poetry when he fell in love with my mom and he said, oh my gosh, I saw My Last Duchess by Robert Browning. And he saw her getting on a bus to New York City city and he was also getting on the bus to New York City. He's thinking this is the one. So I have to make sure that I see her and that I I get her and I try to get her. So he made sure to get the seat next to her and she had all the games of love already played. And I know this because they were both brilliant writers and I have so many of their writings saved. And she was already, and let me put it this way, already in her teen story she was writing, she was writing advice to friends and telling her friend to coyly leave a C.S. Lewis paperback on her lap at church so that when a guy saw her and she knew he loved C.S. Lewis, see her friend reading C.S. Lewis. So this is her at 18 and my dad's meeting her about five years later, just out of teaching school. And he's going, oh my gosh, like this is my last duchess. And she's coyly leaving the book next to her. So I know this was a match made in heaven. They were married three months later, but it was a desperate him laying in front of the cottage of her aunt, you know, laying his claim, making his Romeo stance and calling themselves Heathcliff and Catherine of Wuthering Heights, not the smiling types, but a brooding love. And so I think that it's important that you understand some people operate out of this and others don't. Others operate out of a sense of not as much passion, but as principle and say, I married on the basis of practicality. And there were a lot of ups and downs in my mom and dad's long marriage, but there are a lot of marriages that are not as exciting 
but that are just as amazing and maybe more so in some ways because of the stability. And of course, there's stability for them in the later years as well. But I'm just saying sometimes those early Rocky notebook kinds of romances are wonderful, but they can bring on a host of troubles too. So when I do this podcast today with you guys, I don't want you to think on your marriage and go, oh my gosh, we didn't have that because I know a lot of couples who did or didn't who are thriving. And so I think that's probably my biggest takeaway for you is to be able to say, oh my gosh, like I am okay whether I find my spouse this way or not, or whether we find each other more practically or maybe already have, because that is going to serve you so much better. But sometimes it's people like this who have very different backgrounds, like Romeo and Juliet, Montague and Capulet, totally different family systems, complete opposites, and in fact, warring. My mom and dad's family didn't know each other. She was on her way to a National Young Republicans convention, and he was at Boston College getting his master's degree and had been at University of Detroit Mercy. She had literally Daughters of the American Revolution everything you can think of Protestant conservative. So sometimes that feeling of, oh my gosh, and she said, I'd never met a Democrat before. So her and her friends were all gawking. It's really exciting and thrilling. So I know some of you have made your love story that way by finding somebody who is very different from you. While as other friends and clients have told me, I played it safe. My marriage was not a love at first sight experience, but I definitely had joy and found joy even after I got married. If you think that there there's a one size fits all marriage or family, you're wrong. And I don't want you to feel bad about that if you're feeling that way, but it's just a very black and white way of seeing things that's not healthy because everybody's story is different. And it's reminiscent of, like I said, the older person who's 50 years into a marriage or maybe raised their children already and says to their new husband or wife to be to their child. Oh, my child never cried as a baby. Things like that, that you know are not true, but that you're like, okay, you forget the hard ups and downs of the seasons of marriage. And so make sure you remember that if you're thinking, and I hear this a lot, as you can imagine, that people who feel like they're questioning their love they're thinking, oh my gosh, I definitely love my spouse, but I've fallen out of love. And that's such a big statement to make because love is a verb. And I really want you to understand that, that love truly is an action. And so it is practical at times. It is passionate at times, but you don't have to feel a strong, intense feeling the first minute you see somebody in order for it to be meant to be. And many, many people have gone astray when they're relying only on this because sometimes they're just youthful and they don't even know. And going back to Romeo and Juliet, he was thinking the same exact way as as the story opens, if you just go to Gutenberg, you can find most of the classics and you find that right away he was talking about Rosalind in the same manner. And side note, when you do this podcast, sometimes I go into total literature mode. So you have to just know that and roll with it if you like literature too. And I hope you do because I'm like literature, communication, and psychology, my three favorite fields are all alike in so many ways. And we're really looking at the depths of a person. And, and Romeo, that figure that we take from all of history is the most romantic 
of all time was just deeply madly in love with Rosalind just literally like five minutes before. So you have to understand sometimes that feeling can be super strong for somebody else or sometimes that person that you fall in love with can be right under your nose because we just read Emma right before this and Emma by Jane Austen is another excellent love classic but Mr. Knightley was right in front of her the entire time that she was seeking love and he was literally her mentor her neighbor and probably classic one or five who is there to give her wisdom and patience and also speak up to her when he felt like oh my gosh I'm either gonna go to my high one or my high five or even my high eight to say no Emma you can't match make for everybody else you can't a force people to fall in love you can't play cupid you can't tell others who they can and can't marry and especially I know that they were both in denial of their own love feelings for one another for a long time and you could make the same argument about my husband and I because you just have to understand love is complex and it really takes a while sometimes to marinate so give it time if it needs it because you are worth it and I don't want you to settle for anybody else that you shouldn't have and that's why I'm making sure that at the end of this episode we go through type by type to talk about what I want you to make sure you're cautious about with each type as well as what you know you could celebrate if each type as you fall in love. So now I'm so excited to welcome our guest, Liv from the Enneagram 7 on IG. Go follow her if you're not yet. Her page is amazing. I was just checking your page out this morning, Liv. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate it, Krista. I love being here. And fun fact, this is the first time I've ever been a guest on a podcast and I really wanted that to happen this year and you're making one of my dreams come true. So thank you. Oh my gosh, to make a sevens dream come true. This is awesome. And I will say it happens, right? Have you experienced a lot of your dreams coming true? I bet. Yes, I have. I definitely have. Once I nail what I want and I kind of work towards it, it just happens. I really, really knew that you would say yes to that. I'm like, because they happen and then you just have to get more dreams, right? Exactly. All the <laughs> so. dreams, all the time. I love that. And I don't know that I really had a chance on this podcast first here for me too, to talk to another seven. So be ready for loads of energy, guys. It's morning. So you're in luck that we might not have as much, but I actually have a lot of energy in the morning. Are you like that, Liv? I have all the energy in the world. <laughs> I am such an early riser. I wake up before the sun does and somehow <laughs> I find so much satisfaction in that. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so glad because in A, she's younger than me too. So she probably has like loads more, but B, <laughs> I also have that morning energy and it overwhelms my family. So when I was recording this, I was like, okay, nobody's up yet. Like this is hilarious because it's nine o'clock my time. And I'm like, where are these people? <laughs> so, and I have my vitamin water rise orange drink with me and it's zero sugar because I'm also not as young as Liv. So I can't like do Red Bull anymore. Are you a coffee drinker, a Red Bull drinker, Liv? I am a coffee drinker. I love it. My sister would say I'm more of a creamer drinker than coffee, but you know, I, I like them both. <laughs> I like them oh both. yes. Been there, done that. Burn out on that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Starbucks and coffee shops worker in the past. So now I'm like on my zero cal. Oh, I bet. I couldn't even imagine working there. Oh my gosh. I had to be like, I drink herbal tea only or I would get fired. But anyway, (laughs) so the energy does burn low later in the day. And then we go to our five space and we try to manage our one critical space and get us organized. So I'm so honored to have another seven on the show, especially as we talk about the topic of falling in love and even just her and I being in different spaces because I'm married and uh, you just described yourself. I love it earlier before we got on as a single Pringle, right, Liv? (laughs) Yes, a single Pringle. (laughs) I love it. Single Pringle. That is just awesome. And we are going to come at this topic from all angles, guys, because we know that some of you are coming at it from all angles. Some of you are dating, some of you are married, and some of you are divorced or contemplating divorce. So we want to help you to understand as much as we can about love, finding joy before and after marriage, huge topics. So I want to start there with you, Liv. Being single, what do you think is one of the most important things for people to remember about joy? Because a lot of people say to me in my coaching, I want to find somebody so I can have joy. Yes, I actually hear that all of the time because people know me more as someone who is single rather than someone who's in a relationship. And they ask me, how do you find joy? You're doing all these things on your own. And I look up to you to finding that joy, but how do you? And I just say, I'm very thankful for this season of life because it is very me oriented and I can be selfish. And sometimes people say that's a negative thing. I feel like when I talk about being selfish, it's more about self-care and growing yourself Mm -hmm. and being able to really live your life and, and live in your community and give back into your community and invest in your friendships and invest in the relationships around you. Because once you are in that romantic relationship, you're going to be cutting back from the time that you spend with your friends or with your family. And some people say, no, I can balance it all. I can do it. Like, I'm not going to be that person that falls off the grid once I get into a relationship and cut off my friends. I've seen that happen so many times. Mm -hmm. And I think the best thing you can be is just be present because that is where you will find joy. If you keep focusing on what you don't have, Mm -hmm. then obviously you're going to be upset and you're going to always feel that gap. But if you figure out, hey, all my needs are being met. I'm surrounded by good people. And if you're not, go surround yourself with good people. Make that Mm -hmm. the thing that you want to do now rather than being upset and miserable and trying to find your happiness in another person because people so often find that that satisfaction and that joy soon enough wears off because of the state that they were in before they even got in the relationship. Mm, That is really wisely said. You have a ton of wisdom I can already tell about (laughs) how to do this. And thank you because that's right away getting into my point, which is oh my gosh, like A, get the self-care, which a lot of people don't pair with relationship work. And I always do Mm -hmm. because A, we're sevens and B, because you have to take care of you before and after. But but you just said it so well that 
really, once you get in a relationship and the initial feelings wear off of that high intensity romance, you find yourself, even the people that are the most romantic of all in those doldrum days. And I have a ton of poems and research, even from my own parents, extremely romantic marriage that they wrote down to share about that middle season of marriage. So it's so important that you say, hang on to who you are because you're going to need that to find joy later as well. Exactly. You want to make sure that you have your identity and be strong in your identity because if you go into a relationship trying to become like that other person and it doesn't go well, you're going to have an identity crisis after Mm. that relationship ends. Yes. And I think most people do have an identity crisis. It doesn't have to be extreme where you're in the mental hospital. It just happens where you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm now tempted to have an affair or I need meds or I hit my wall and I'm depressed. And it just looks different for everybody, but it really is helpful to say, how can I prevent that from happening? Because when and if my spouse doesn't want to follow suit with the things that bring me joy, I need to still know how to do that. And I've talked about this on the show a little bit, but it's been a lifesaver when my spouse and I have been able to do that, to model that to each other. Because I went into the marriage thinking that we would have many sleepovers every night and slumber parties where we would have fun shows and snacks. And my husband (laughs) was like, I have work to do, or, you know, I have a guilty conscience as a one that I have to keep doing work at night or working on meaningful projects. And I'd be like, okay, well, wow, I have to like take care of me now and not just expect that. And a lot of wives, I think, come into it thinking it will be a slumber party every night because sometimes, yes, Enneagram type matters most, but sometimes I think just that gender expectation is even bigger because Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm a woman. I want to connect and emotionally chat and cuddle. And occasionally it's the male, but it's really nice for me to hear that you know this already, that you're like, no, we have to know how to take care of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have always been intrigued and I probably should have known I was a seven from this point on. I love connection. I love being able to give someone my everything, whether it's, you know, my family members or my friends or, you know, potential relationships. And I want to make sure that I can best prepare myself for that because, you know, at the end of the day, we want to be known, we want to be loved. And if you want to best prepare yourself for that, you have to learn how to know and love yourself. Mm. And that is true that you probably got that from being a seven, but it's a gift that a lot of the other types don't have. And sometimes we get accused of being selfish for that reason, but we've been taking care of ourselves for a long time. So that seems to be part of our essence. And it's a gift we can share today on this podcast, because let's assume that probably 75% at least of our listeners are not sevens. And therefore they really need that reminder more than even you and I do, because it took us, we're saying, okay, our dreams usually happen. We shift, we pivot. I learned pretty quickly, Wes can't meet all my needs. You're learning this even before marriage. So we just want to remind you guys how valuable you are, whether married or not, to take that self-care, you know, look at yourself as a biopsychosocial spiritual person, do the physical, emotional, and spiritual self-care every day, even if for five minutes. But I also want to ask you the fun question, Liv, about whether you believe in love at first sight. You heard about some of those statistics. <laughs> yes. Oh, that one always gets me. <laughs> I, you know, I don't feel like I have 
a definitive answer because I haven't experienced it myself. So Mm -hmm. I feel like if I haven't experienced it, then I don't know if other people have experienced it. Like I can see someone walk into a room and I'll say like very rarely I'll see them walk into a room and I'll just be swooning like, oh, look at that. Like just (laughs) that beauty and, Mm -hmm. and all, but I feel like when it, it comes to love, there's so much more than looks and sight is what you see. I feel like there's just so much more to love than what the sight offers. That's such a good way to say it, that you can take in that amazing, just gorgeousness of God's creation and say, this is an excellent specimen (laughs) of health and vibrancy and, and yet... And that pause is what I think has been blessing you especially. And that's the pause that does require a certain amount of intelligence. So even while I was having the conversation with the teen girls earlier this week, that pod in my literature class and asking, do you think that parents should be involved in helping their children decide? Because in the Romeo and Juliet decision, the parents were what was blocking these two lovers and the parents eventually had to grieve that their feuding wasn't that important. But sometimes I think, that it's important in the way of if somebody doesn't have that much intelligence and doesn't know that the brain takes a while to even into the twenties evolve, that they may make some grave mistakes. So it makes me happy that you're pausing because I can tell that you have that. And I do think that if you're a parent out there and you have kids who might need shepherding, that you do need to do an individual look because some of your kids, frankly, will be like very wise in their teens or twenties and say, oh, I've got this, like live and some will not be there and they'll need you to coach and to give more hands-on advice about like, wow, I know you think that this person is really charming and wonderful, but he's also got another girlfriend or he's doing drugs. So it's, these are basic things that I know you would never even have to think about. Right. (laughs) But still, this is life, right? This is love. This is passion. So I'm so glad you have that pause that you take and that you were honoring to say, Hey, God could totally give me a love at first sight, but I'd also need to see if the rest fits. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. At the end of the day, you know, beauty fades. We're all going to grow old as much as us Enneagram 7 <laughs> do not want to face that reality. Right. It's going to happen to all of us. That's one thing that is guaranteed. And so those looks and those feelings that you may have because of those looks, those are very temporary. It's, it's the heart that matters and how compatible are you with that person? How much are you willing to sacrifice for that person and figure out, okay, is this someone that I want to spend the rest of my life with? Is this someone that I want to work through hardships with and share the most exciting times in my life? And getting real deep, (laughs) real Mm -hmm. quick, Mm -hmm. oftentimes I think like if I were to end up in the hospital at the end of the day because something traumatic happened, I want that person by my side, like the person that I choose, I want them to be there by my side and know like, I'm going to be loved till the very end. I will be taken care of until the very end. So I get really (laughs) serious at times when it comes to trying to figure out who to date and also trying to balance it out and be like, okay, you're not going to marry the first person you go on a date with. So calm down, (laughs) but it's a balance. It's a balance. 
Yeah. And you bring up a great point to be honest about who you are at the beginning of a relationship. And that's one of your thoughts as a person in the anxiety and fear triad and head triad with me. We're thinking all the time. So it's an important thing to say. And it's something I was able to say to my husband, even in our high school years, I went deep like you did live. And I was like, look, I'm just going to let you know that I have fears and here's what they are. And I remember some of them had an actuality point too, where I went in thinking I might not be able to have children at one point in my, like about 19 and my husband and I had already been dating for a few years, crazy story, but we were really ready together for that. If we were to stay together, who knows what would have happened, but I was asking that I was saying like, oh my gosh, if this happens, what would happen for our future that we knew we were too young, but still planning on being together. And he was like, I'm going to be with you no matter what, but actions speak louder than words. So it's important once again, that you take care of yourself because thank God my husband was able to be a man of his words, but sometimes you don't realize trauma hits later hard, Mm -hmm. but some harder than others when they do have that midpoint crisis. And you need to be able to say, oh my gosh, like everybody vowed at the beginning of marriage to take care of each other for better or for worse. But if these are your big points, share them. In fact, whatever your big points are, share them because Liv will know right away if she says that to somebody and they're like, you know what? Like I hate hospitals and I don't do hospitals. That might be a deal breaker for her. Do you think it would? Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, yeah, me absolutely. Too. <laughs> you oh want God. the person who you're going to be with for the rest of your life to go through it all with you, absolutely. all of it. And, you know, especially as sevens, mm-hmm. we want to know that we will be taken care of till the very end. And we want a, someone who is going to demonstrate that throughout our lives. Now, no one is perfect. So we can't put this expectation up that this person is going to be our, you know, primary caretaker. They're, they have to know all of my needs. Like that is setting really high expectations for the other person. And no one should be under those standards and expectations. Cause if someone put that on me, <laughs> I'd feel confined. You know, I would exactly. feel like, oh no, you're putting rules on me and expectations. And I don't want that. But you you do want a person who's going to show up not just during the good times, but the really hard times too. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And you want them to be able to help you to be stronger too. And that will inadvertently happen as well when you're on this route and you say like, I need you right now. And they're like, I'm not available. And then you have to do it by yourself. And I remember my spouse really helping me sometimes when he was like, I know you feel you need this, but this is probably you leaning really hard on your six wing. He didn't know the Enneagram at that time, but he was in essence saying your worries are bigger than the reality. So now I do need you to get up, be my teammate and do these things because I will be there for you when the chips do fall, but they haven't yet. You're still standing. And so that's very important for the work of any type is when our spouses challenge us and say, Hey, I did mean those vows. I am in love with you, but we have to work together to make sure we're both efficient. But I still joke with him because he's a PA in family practice. So he has all of his own patients and he does all of our family medical care. And so I always say, I only travel with my personal physician. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
best friend is also a PA. So I'm like, I guess you and I can go on a trip. But like, that is phenomenal. Yeah, I will do trips with my kids because I'm like, they're old enough. I always did. Sometimes necessity has to be there and the Lord will be there with you. I've had those right. too, but it's fun to be like, yes, like you said, like we want to be taken care of. We want to know we're not in this alone as people and especially as sevens. I also want to say everyone Absolutely. does it differently with like some people love to do courting. Some people love to do dating. Do you think you're going to do either of those in a particular way, Liv? So I feel like I would date with a lot of intentionality mm. with the goal of being marriage. Mm. I feel like if you define it, <laughs> it's all about the definition <laughs> here for me. Yep, yep. If you define it as courting, it just feels so serious. It mm. feels like there's just so much pressure under that. So as a yeah. seven, I would choose the term dating. And I would first go into it as friendship <laughs> because mm -hmm. I just, I'm not someone who can jump into a date, jump into a relationship. I mean, I've tried, mm -hmm. you know, I have done the apps, I have done Bumble mm -hmm. and it's, there's just this presence of this expectation knowing, okay, well, he's looking for, you know, I, I don't know what he's looking for, but I'm potentially looking for a boyfriend. Let's mm -hmm. see if it can turn into this. And, you know, I, I went on one day earlier this year before coronavirus mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to expect. He was really cute. We went to a coffee shop. I was going in with so much anxiety because I was just overthinking it. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, what if I have to marry him? What if there's someone else out there? What if he's not the right fit for me? But what if he is? And you know how sevens oh, are. You yes. ask all, oh all the what ifs, yes. all the am I missing out, everything. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I calmed myself as soon as I saw him. I'm like, okay, he's just another human being. He doesn't, you do not need to be tied to him. Just try it out, see how it goes. And uh, <laughs> it's a funny dating story, actually. It's probably. <laughs> <laughs> Sevens will really appreciate this one. So I don't even know what Enneagram number he was, but he suggested that we play a board game mm -hmm. at the coffee shop. And I am not a board game person. Because <laughs> so you're like, he, it's B-O-R-E-D? Like, no. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there were so many rules to this game. Mm -hmm. So I went straight to my one wing. I was under so much stress the entire date. Couldn't figure out the game. He could tell, but he still wanted to play. And I was like, I just want to escape. I want to get out of here. <laughs> and so, you know, as a seven, I just feel like friendships start the best relationships. Now, can people meet on, you know, the websites or can they be set up through mutual friends and work out. Absolutely. I've seen that happen all the time, but I prefer, and I think that other sevens would say that they prefer, you know, being in the same group, being in the same class or working towards a project together where they can get to know each other without having that expectation and that pressure that, okay, we are working towards a relationship. We need to put our very best foot forward, make sure we look like this perfect person. No, if you're working towards something else together, it takes that pressure off and allows you to really get to know that person while still feeling comfortable in your own skin.
Exactly. Oh my gosh. I couldn't have said that better. Great job because that's everything for people to hear. Be comfortable and understand that safety is so important to everybody in different ways because at the root of everybody's stuff, right, is some anxiety. Like if I'm a one, I'm worried that I'll be carrying this load all by myself. So anger boils out and is experienced through the body, but deep below that is a sadness and a worry and a fear that I'm not good and that I'm not going to be able to carry this load. And then, I mean, everybody won't help me. And so there's a fear with every type. So every type needs to establish safety. And I love your recommendation for friendship because sometimes we know it doesn't happen like that, but if Mm -hmm. you can plan it, and if you are that type like us who need time, that's huge. And that's what made me really balk at my husband at the beginning too, because he was so out there and so body type and like, this is what I'm going for. And this is what I want. And I was like, hold on, buddy. Like (laughs) I was like, you're not dating me and I will have friends tell you that, but he was so persistent. And then thank God for the first date, because I was like out of there, but he was safe and he showed me that he was safe. And so then we could pursue it. And then I just want to let you guys know, sometimes even when you're getting ready to marry and you're feeling so excited and you're like, Oh, I want to marry this person as a seven. There's still that trepidation at the end. Like when you're right about to make that commitment. And I loved your funny story the other day about (laughs) runaway bride because I was like oh yeah the night my proposed to me I was like oh my gosh like he was jumping around and dancing and I was like out of body experience like what is happening here (laughs) (laughs) so so I'm really happy for you that you were able to capture that and I and she's got 20k followers so she's really got a lot of people who must relate to this right oh yes so i did a poll and i asked my audience do you relate to this or is this one of your worst fears and i believe 74 or 75% of them pressed yes and i had so many people write me in my dms and they said i felt this way when i got engaged and told me the process of it oh some gosh, girls wow. telling oh yes there are so many of them who feel that exact way and they were telling me all their stories and all of their thoughts and I think one of the most comforting things to know and being in this community is that you're not alone and what you're feeling is normal you're not the only person feeling that I think sevens almost have an anxiety attack when they hear the word permanence or long-term commitment or, you know, 25 year plan, like all those long-term <laughs> goals and timeframes just put us in this trapped stress mode. And so as I was watching that movie, cause I haven't seen it for probably years and I, I saw it come up and I was like, Oh my goodness, I need to watch this. Cause I, I haven't seen it in a while. And I feel like I could probably relate to it now uh, more than ever. I'm not even in a relationship and I felt every single one of her feelings. I really felt that that character and how she could get really close to that person. And once she made it to the altar where she was about to commit herself for a lifetime, she just sprinted right off because mm-hmm. she had that panic attack mm-hmm. until she found the person that she wanted to commit to for the rest of her life. And I love that movie. I love how she, spoiler alert, turned in her running shoes at the end that she wasn't going to run away. And I even had uh, one of someone in my seven community say, 
you know, I'm getting married within the next few weeks and my mom told me I should be giving my running shoes to my fiance. And I thought, how cute is that? That is so so cute. I love that. And I met both my serious boyfriends basically through the track team. So (laughs) I totally relate as a runner. (laughs) And um, I've recently had to retire them a little bit more because I have run so many miles that I'm like, ow, like I got a knee injury that I mentioned on the last few episodes. And I yes. take a break. So yeah. I'm back now. But my son asked me, like, are you going to go full throttle? I'm like, no, like mm-hmm. I have to be good with this body. And that's what you're saying about marriage. Like I have to slow down. I have to treat myself right and understand that I'm worthy of commitments and that God will take care of me even when my spouse can't always, or just that fear of commitments because we don't like to be confined. And I can give you guys the good news that it gets a lot better. In, in oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It does. And you have the pursuer distancer cycle going on at all times and you try to balance that. So you're not heavily pursuing. Like I was sharing the example of me being so like, oh my gosh, I have to know if my boyfriend called and it's like desperation starts to take over even in a seven. And those moments of commitment are hard and icky and they're difficult for us because big emotions are difficult. And I was the one who would run behind. I don't know if you can relate to this, but when there was an old show called who's the boss in my era and Tony and Angela would kiss on the screen and I would run and hide behind the chair because big emotions freaked me out. And it's only had evoked in myself with my couples. I serve. It's totally different. My, I'm in a different headspace, but as you can imagine, and do you relate to that too, that the big emotions, even when yours are evoked at all, just are hard. Absolutely. I mean, that statement right there, hiding behind the chair, that is me (laughs) hiding in the corner. Um, Anytime, (laughs) anytime there are big, huge emotions. I mean, with with joy, with sadness, with whatever, I need time. I need to take those emotions. I need to go put myself in a corner for a second and just sit there and figure it all out. But absolutely. Definitely feel that one. Yes. And you've given me a couple indications that you love to go to your focused five space. And that's exactly all we're doing, guys, is we may not look like sevens in that moment where we're like not taking it all in, but we're just going to our focused five. We're thinking it over. Fives don't tend to really feel as much as think. And we're thinking people too. So we need that time to realize, am I making a good decision? What do these feelings mean? And then as sevens, when we are safe, we can be vulnerable. And it's really important that you guys do know that you don't have to keep running and turning. You can turn in the running shoes. It's okay because there's lots of other great things to do besides run. And that's even including the cheesy but real love of walking hand in hand with your spouse. And I said walking, not running. <laughs> so, I love that. Yes. So, oh my gosh. So anyway, I love that you have such wisdom already. I want to know as we're wrapping up, how do you feel about telling our guests if they're looking for somebody and if they want to fall in love, would you recommend anything? I know you said not in particular courting, and we've all seen different issues with that coming up in the last couple of years with people saying, oh my gosh, the I kiss dating goodbye guy isn't believing that anymore, or I still adhere to that. Um, and I just, I first want to say everyone has a different view on it. And secondly, do you have any tips for people who might want to date, but want to also keep it safe and make sure that they're caring for themselves? That is a really good question. So that's been a question that I've been asking myself, how do I do this? I feel like there are so many books out there. So being a seven, 
And being in that looking, pursuing, kind of observing as well, we want structure. That's what I've learned is I want structure. I want someone to tell me what to do and kind of how to do it, but allow me to do it in the way that I want to. I want to be able to reference books and I've read so many. And the one that stands out to me the most is The Mingling of Souls by Matt Chandler. Mm. That book is phenomenal. It is, he's a pastor in Texas. He is so great, so kind, so loving. And the way that he talks about this relationship, it, it's more of soulship, if that is a word. It's mm-hmm. more of finding that soulship with someone else and how to do it intentionally and how to not, you know, go in it and injure someone else's heart or wound yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you do have to make sure that you are guarding your heart, like it says in Proverbs, like guard your heart. That is so important. And going into relationships, I think it's important to go in, not have that high expectation, not put your vulnerability out on the table first date or when you're first trying to get to know someone. Mm -hmm. I made this analogy where it's like going into the pool for the very first time. You want to go in the shallow end first where your feet can touch the ground. And once you have more experience, you can swim in the deeper end. And that's just like any relationship on the shallow side where you're just talking about very surface level things. But once you become more comfortable with swimming in it, you can get deeper and deeper and eventually figure out, okay, is this the person for me at the end of the day? Oh, I love that. You're right. That's such a great analogy. People don't have to hop in all at once and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm in such hot water. Like what I really hear you saying is you are worth it. Take it slowly. And the book you mentioned Mm -hmm. is amazing too. And I'll put it in the show notes. I was excited to hear you talking about it. And it has great reviews, I know. And Mike Todd is another great author who talks about relationship rules. Yes. So, oh good. I'm glad you've heard of that one. So get a hold of these books. Like she says, she's really, Liv has been really enjoying learning from others, but also just allowing her story to be hers and allowing her needs to be important too, because she knows she's going to have to balance somebody else's needs and she needs to at least make sure she can be refreshed and replenished to give and to take her time. I think that is so wise. And that was actually my final point as you're looking for romance is to take your time because nowadays with the swipe features on social media and post COVID dating and people who are just flat out dating before their divorce, this is really becoming a huge thing in my counseling and coaching practice over the years that I've seen transition is take your time. Try not to get involved first because if you're not divorced yet and it's very sticky, you want your kids to see an ethical person and to feel safe, they're going to need to understand your timeline. And if you haven't done it this way, because I know I'm speaking to a lot who probably have not and who did date before divorce because they're like, my spouse cheated on me. You don't realize how long and complex divorce takes. I do because I work with people for so many years, but it's really still important that those who aren't in that place yet, that just take your time, get to know yourself better, be encouraged that live is doing this well and it's not perfect like anything, but it's worth it. Right, Liv? Absolutely. Far from perfect. And I'm learning every single day 
But just know at the end of the day, you are absolutely worth it. You are absolutely loved. No matter what, if you're in a relationship or not, you are still you know, a child of God. You are still very much needed in this world. And a relationship does not define your worth whatsoever. Oh, yay. I love hearing that. And that is so needed with touch too. That's the last, last point on this. <laughs> I want people to understand I'm hearing from a lot of people who are getting touched inappropriately on their first dates. So make sure that you set good touch boundaries. It doesn't mean the other person is trying to be perverted. They're just eager for touch and we've had COVID. So watch yourselves if you're that person who wants to touch. Um, I had somebody in public touch my face the other day and it really took me off guard. So it made, oh, wow. I was like, what? <laughs> so I was just shocked, but I could sense that they were desperate for touch. So understand that, but also mm. hold your boundaries. And yeah, that's why I do more podcasting than in person, no joke, or uh, Zoom sessions. So be aware that people are, you know, Jesus had it where people, he's like, my garment's been touched, but like, it hurts and it can trigger you if you're letting yourself be touched in inappropriate ways that you're not ready for, but you're looking for and seeking love. So I'll get into that in a minute when we talk about type by type and what to watch out for in potential suitors or in yourself as you're dating. But Liv is going to give us an awesome reference right now to a fun contest that we can do. So I want you guys to make sure you're following her at the Enneagram 7, the number 7, and make sure that you also also grab our fun contest because you might be able to win something really cool. Tell us about that, Liv. Yes. So thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm. If you hop on over to Instagram, be sure to take a screenshot of this podcast episode, upload that on your story and make sure it's public so we can see your submission and be sure to tag both of our accounts at the Enneagram 7 and at Enneagram and Marriage. And within one week, I will be announcing a winner on my story. And what I'll be giving away is a free print from my Red Bubble shop for anyone. They are more Enneagram 7 oriented graphics, but they're fun. You can put them at your desk. You can give them away as a gift. So I will be giving that away. So be sure to upload that on your story and let us know what you think. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And you are so 70 that like, I'm like, oh yeah, I like live in five space. I need that. Like we all need more of that kind of seven <laughs> yes. youthfulness in our lives. So thank you. That <laughs> sounds so much fun. And I also want you guys to check out her fun red bubble shop anyway. It's so cute. And her account just brings joy. And we all frankly need more of that in our lives during COVID time. So head on over there. And I am so thankful. Thank you so much, Liv, for joining us. Thank you. It's been an honor. This is the first one in the books and I'm yay. so happy that it's your podcast. Oh, yay. That makes me so happy. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, she was so much fun to talk to and I really loved having another seven on the show. I felt like we kept our giggles to a minimum. I hope you guys did too, but it was really fun and refreshing to see that side of somebody and I love that we are going to be having more guests on this season so that we can really hear from many different types. So let's get right into our exact point by point, type by type 
run through of what I want you guys to make sure you're careful of as you're thinking about getting into a relationship or even if you're already in one. So number ones, don't expect if you are a one to get the truth right away from people if you're too self-righteous or pushy. And I mean this with love and I'm going to be pretty blunt with each type. I'm telling you that because I'm actually with a one and I know that there was a few things my husband asked me the very first time we basically talked on the phone after our first date that were really intense questions. And I felt put on the spot because there might have been a judgment with them. So make sure that you really understand that. And then I was able to go back and say, well, can I tell you more when we're face to face? And can I tell you more of my story and who I am when I have a chance to explain the whole? I mean, you guys heard me on the Enneagram 7 episode. I hope you go through the type by type episodes too, but really just the depths of my heart versus just a quick judgment about somebody. So watch for that. Make sure you do your body work. And if you're going to be with a one, make sure that every single day of that relationship, you guys talk about ways for one to get their body work, because that's going to be important for you both to remember as a one's dealing with intense pain about how they've been working so hard and they need to address that and to say, yes, anger is real. And I know it is in my life. And here's how I work through it because oftentimes it's a righteous anger, but still, how do you work through it? Because they have to do their work and you have to do yours. So I also want to say for type twos, don't push. If you're a little pushy like a Romeo or a Juliet where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm desperate or we can all get into our two mode where we feel that way. But sometimes it can take us to unhealthy places if we feel our spouse isn't giving to us in the way we want them to. So if you're a two who's looking for a relationship, you might be pushing against doors that are not open to you, that God is not blessing and that frankly should be shut very tightly because there are probably even people taking advantage of you, potentially abusing you who aren't good fits, but that you're just eager. You want to be loved. You want to find identity through love. So watch yourself that you love you and get to know yourself and make sure that you then find somebody who is worthy of all the love you'll give. And we're none of us feeling like we're so much better than anybody. I don't want you to go to that pride place, but I want you to understand you have a very valuable gift. And so find somebody who does want to spend time with you. Now, sometimes you find marriages where you're like, oh, we're a two and a five and you would think we're opposite. And yet I want to tell you fives are helpers underneath it all too, but sometimes they ground a two. So don't despair at any typing because a five and a two romance sparks fly. And that's a great example of somebody you might think wouldn't be the right pair. And it is. So just be open to any type, but be open to you yourself knowing how to take care of you and really look at the health of a person. And when I'm saying health, I'm really especially talking about mental health so that you can make make sure they know how to self-soothe and you don't have to fix them. And of course that goes for ones too. So threes, I want you to really understand if you're getting into a relationship with a three that they really want just like twos to make sure you love them and that you're safe because they're looking for identity. Whereas with twos, we'd say, make sure you give to your two. With a three, I would say, make sure you let your three know that you're not just seeking them out because you found out that they're an achiever. In fact, I don't want you to go to that place because I know they're always on the lookout for people who are just skeptically saying, oh, I just 
care about you because I want something from you. So make sure you let your three know, I see you for who you are underneath and that's who I fell in love with. I also want threes to be aware of two things. One is that you're very charming and you're good at starting relationships and not necessarily maintaining them because you can be charming with a variety of people. So your growth is of course, finding somebody and committing to them, knowing there's ups and downs like Liv and I were talking about. I also want you threes to be aware and those with threes that threes are very loyal to their person. So make sure you don't let go of friends and family three once you get into a relationship because that can be really sad for them to go, oh my gosh, where are you? And you're saying, I've had threes tell me, male threes even, I put my spouse so far above the other parts of my family system that the others are almost obsolete. So make sure that you mention to each other how much you really want to commit and be almost obsessive with, but not quite obsessive so that you can give out to others who need it like your kids and extended family. But then again, there's some threes who are so, I know my sister with my dad was the most attentive to her tribe. So also don't stereotype to be like, every three is this exact way that Chris is saying today. But do remember that threes will need to have some time and space, like I said, to share the truth for it to be released in steps as they feel safer because they really want to feel safe with you. They're good at handling your feelings. And even if they don't like to express theirs, if you're going to get involved with a three, understand that. Understand they don't like to express feelings always. It makes them feel very raw and vulnerable and uncomfortable. So you can say, I want you to work on that. But I also get it that that's not your natural bent. And I also want you to understand a lot of them like competitive games and gaming. So you have to realize like as you're getting in with any of these types, can I stand that? Like it's not as much as like what I must have is what I can't stand because there's things that you're like, I kind of want somebody who I can have a really fun time with, but I know I don't want to be with this. And so it might be like somebody who's had a past with cheating or alcoholism or whatever, where somebody else is like, oh no, like I've come from a history of alcoholism and I understand that. So I think it really has to be person to person on what these are. And you can always make a list if you need to get clarity on that. But that's an important one with threes is to know they like their games and they like their phones and they like their work. So you've got to be able to handle that. Type fours, I really want to caution you guys again, like twos, you're such hard people not to take junk from others. Make sure that you do not just let them in so far and deep before you've had a chance to really evaluate with not just your heart, but your mind and your body to see if this person is really good for you. Because I've seen some fours get involved in depths of relationships with people who are very toxic and be especially aware that if you're going to get involved with another person in the heart, triad that it can be intense and you need your outlets in your body. So many fours will tell you they need their dance or they need their body work in other varieties and fours can tend to measure better and worse than. So be careful that you don't look just for beauty fours because you'll get yourself in trouble because beauty is only skin deep as Liv and I were saying earlier. So when that fades, we don't want you to be fickle. So watch for that and talk with your four about that and test them out a little bit if you're dating a four of how would you feel if this or that. They might not have thought that through yet and you can help them think that through. But taking that pause that Liv mentioned is so important so that you can do that with somebody who's a four and then four, don't take others junk on totally. Let them know you don't always want to emotionally process, but that sometimes you do. So if you're going to marry somebody, for instance, that is a nine and maybe doesn't want to sit in that space a lot with you, that you would understand, I'm going to do that work on my own largely, or maybe with people at work, but I'm also going to keep a healthy boundary around that. And I'm going to enjoy my nine for what my nine does give me, which is peace. And I 
I think that happens with a lot of spouses. We go, oh my gosh, my spouse doesn't give me this one thing. And it's like, what they do give you is very valuable. So fives, what I want you to be understanding of is a lot of the time the five is giving out of a place of they're like, this is everything I just gave you. And you're like, oh my gosh, like I felt like I got a thread or a hair from you. And they're like, I just gave you my last breath. So make sure that you honor your five foot for what they do give you. And fives, make sure that you don't go into that fantasy realm too much of not ever picking somebody because nobody is perfect. Of course, the sexual five can do that more than others. But I also want the five to realize that sometimes in giving, you actually find yourself getting more, not less. So don't feel like you can't give or you could never find anyone because you'll never have a relationship. But you do have to take some faith, which I know is hard for those who are stoic or nihilistic. But still, I want you to try that so that if you truly want a relationship, you can see what I'm talking about and test it out. And like Liv said, go in just the baby end of the pool and see after a night out with somebody, how did it feel? Did it feel too overwhelming? Are you ready yet? And maybe you need to get your self-care in place and you need to strike more of a balance in life still to make sure you have enough energy if you're not quite ready, but maybe you will be later after you do that. Also, if you do understand that you're with a five, one of the things you'll need to understand for them is that they need time and privacy to individuate. So be ready for that and don't think, okay, I just married somebody who wants to be together 24 seven because they don't typically. They may be better at parallel processing, however, than you. And they may say, I just wanted to be near you. I have had teacher clients this week tell me, oh my gosh, with teaching, I'm now up to my ears as I empathize with all you teachers out there. Oh my gosh, you guys are so incredible. I'm just teaching pods and you're teaching full classroom after classroom or all day classrooms and my prayers are with you. And even some of them are married to fives and they'll say, oh my gosh, like my five is actually seeking me out. So you'll be surprised that fives do want to be together with you, but they don't want it to be overwhelming. Okay. Sixes, what I want you to be aware of is they are going to want to talk about problems. They're going to want to talk about them right away, not to be rude, but to connect and also to feel some relief because they're aware that sometimes by just letting it out or processing that maybe you can offer a fix. A lot of times they're just looking for a listen, but it really helps them to get on with their day. And sixes be aware that not everybody processes like that. My six wing used to do that, as I've said last season with my husband on his way home from work. And I had to learn that he's not like that where I'm like, oh, let's just talk this out really quick so we can move on. And he's like, no, like I need time to settle in. And I just heard that from a couple this week. And somebody else said, I really like to designate times. And we've talked a lot about that on this show too. So make sure you're aware that if you're going to be with a six, they may want to process right away and they will want to connect through talking about problems and worries. And that if you can't do that, then that might not be the type for you. But six, be aware that not anybody else in other types doesn't do this to the extent that you do. So you also have to tell yourself, if I'm going to be ready for a relationship, I'm going to need to keep it at bay and give myself a permission of like 10 or 30 minutes to really talk this out and then move forward and then do something about it. Sevens, I want you guys to be realizing those who want to be with a seven that sevens really spend time in their five space of focusing. So they do need a little bit of time to feel their emotions, to process what they're thinking and feeling. And you might be surprised to find that sometimes they don't react right away with the things you want them to or care about things seemingly as deep as you do because there's a self-protective layer of I have to take care of myself. So make sure that you are checking in with them and saying, I know you need to take care of yourself. I know you need to 
feel safe? How does this integrate in with that? And that will help them to know and you to know too, are we a good fit together? Because if I can't do that, if I need to do things my way only, if I happen to be that type of person, then maybe I can't be with a seven who needs to have their own space and freedom. But if you can, they'll appreciate that, that that you trust them enough to let them process in their way and in their time. And then you guys can come to the mutual decisions together. But just understand that a seven doesn't like to be boxed in and they will resist that at all costs. So if you are the type who's like, I have to have a black and white system where we do box it off and it has to be a precise thing. I need to lock it down in every particular concept. Of course, marriage needs to be locked down in one-on-one, but I mean like, say you're like, I need to lock down that we're definitely going to live in this state for the rest of our lives. That's somebody that a seven might or might not say that because a seven who can reframe that to, oh, I love that. And we will be changing our house up all the time and that will give us change or we'll take vacations might be something that they have done their work. But another seven may say, no, 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 I'm a true free spirit. You don't understand the amount of energy and desire I have to move around a lot. So you have to explore some of these concepts early and understand that while you don't have to do it all on the first date, uh, as one of my clients was recently turned off by somebody making marriage plans on the first date, it's really important that you also know some people do like to make plans like this on a first date and explore and do that. So find it out early and then keep going because that's all you can do, right? And don't keep going if it's somebody you're like, ooh, I can't do that. So type eights, make sure that you understand if you're thinking about relating with an eight, that when they're arguing with you and fighting with you, they really are showing care when they're withdrawing. They really don't care as much. They're like, okay, like this isn't going to work out. So you need to understand. And sometimes they're withdrawing for rest. But otherwise, make sure you understand if you're going to be with an eight, that working things out through conflict is not the end of the world. And in fact, it's the only way to work things through. And withdrawing, as I've talked about on the stance episode in the past, is actually the unhealthiest thing you can do in a marriage. So while all the types are equal and none are loved more than the other, and I find the withdrawing types very safe, I do want you to know in a marriage, you actually need some of this eight quality. So understand that. Be ready for it if you're going to relate to an eight. Try not to be afraid of it because you realize that an eight will be honest with you. And once their anger is out, it is out. But you also may say, oh my gosh, that's an intense personality. And I don't want that. And that's okay too. No one is forcing you to get with any of these particular types. If you're married with one of these types, it's okay also to say this is highly frustrating, but this is something that I know I have areas that are highly frustrating about me too to my spouse. That's normal. Okay, so when we look at nines, how do nines really look? What do we want them to know about us? What do we need to know about them? The fact is you really need your nine to understand that when they withdraw, you need to see more of them, but that they do get 30 minutes to two hours a day to do that so that you understand they need their own time to just chillax, to watch a show, to take a walk, whatever they need to do to get their comfort and their body work, and that you need to be respecting of that and understand when they say, I'm going to that stubborn place of setting a limit, I mean it. And they don't like to talk about problems at length. And they do feel like conflict is difficult to face. So understand that takes quite a bit out of them to have all of these conflicts and transitions that are quick and all these changes. And they're good at it once they get going, but it's hard to process 
the anticipation of a transition. So understand that they have anxiety that's rooted deep. And I don't want you to disturb that if you think, oh, I just want to push my nine. They seem so easy to push. That really makes them feel less themselves. So don't get involved with a nine because you're thinking I'm going to make them into my ideal image. Understand they're very strong and stubborn and they're not going to move, but they also care about growth. And if you are a good listener with them, you're going to see them show up so big and transcend that space of inertia and really make movements. So if you have the desire to be with a nine because you want somebody who's patient, amazing, most people actually do want to be with a nine as a spouse, then you've really been blessed. So enjoy your blessing and understand, again, they give you peace. Just like each type gives you their special gift, this type gives you this special gift of peace and being a diplomat and seeing all sides. So try to understand you don't have to choose a nine, but if you do, these are the special gifts and those are the special things you need to remember as you're getting involved. And I'm so glad we got to do this episode about falling in love because it makes us reminded that it's different for everybody. But what we really can hold on to is how I really want to end. And that is remembering what real love actually is. It's an action. And I'm going to read and I haven't done this yet, but probably should have because it's the best love verse that I can think of. And it runs through my mind a lot when I'm doing marriage coaching, even if my clients are not of any faith value, because it's an excellent definition of love. And it's read at a lot of marriage vows from 1 Corinthians 13 and its love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It isn't self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's important. Love never fails. Wow. So I think that's so important for us to think through together as we finish because it's like, Love always trusts. It doesn't always trust a person who's not trustworthy, but it always trusts that love will win in the end. And dreaming big and loving everybody always, like Bob Goff says, these are the best things and the best parts of marriage. And when you take that first beautiful step toward the truth, your spouse has to shift. And we're just hoping they're going to shift with you. And it's not going to be overnight. You had your epiphany about something today or recently, giving them some time, pray about it, and you'll be surprised at the long-term trust building with them so that they are more encouraged to shift with you. So I'm thankful for today's episode and guest. Don't forget to follow Liv at the Enneagram 7 on IG. And don't forget to do the screenshot of you listening to this podcast. It doesn't have to be a pic of you. Of course it can, but the podcast itself and tag Enneagram and Marriage and the Enneagram 7 for a chance to win one of her beautiful and encouraging prints. And I also want to let you know next week's topic is going to be awesome. It's going to be on tri-types. So if you are ever wondering what's my tri-type and what is Krista talking about when she says she's a 749, what does that mean when my friends say that? We're going to get into all of that and more on our next show. I hope you have such a great week. Bye guys.